Praise the Lord, everyone. The scripture lesson is taken from Luke 10, 1 to 22. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before the face into every city and place where he himself would go. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the, his harvest. Go your ways, behold I sent you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrape, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house, remain eating and drinking. Such things as they give, give for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And unto whosoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But in whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your way out into the streets of the same, and say, Even every dust of their city, which cleaveth not, which cleaveth on us, we do not wipe off against you, nor withstanding be ye sure of this, that is the kingdom of God is to come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom and that, and for, sorry, than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And though Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell, he that heareth you, heareth me, and he that despiteth you, despiteth me, and he that despiteth me, despiteth him and sent, that sent me. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subjected unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to treat, tread on serpents and scorpions and overhaul the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by way means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the streets are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your name are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that thou hadst hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto the babe. And even so, Father, for so I seems good in thy sight. Twenty-second and last verse. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal. Thanks be to God for the reading of his holy words. Well, last week we started our series on Lent. And we know that Lent is a seven-week series running up to Easter, a time to uh, reflect on our walk with Jesus and to prepare our hearts for this uh, wonderful expression of what God has done in Christ for us. So we are in the midst of that. And I do uh, hope that some of you at least are looking at the uh, study questions that have been put in the bulletin each week uh, as it helps to prepare us uh, for Easter, just to take a few minutes to reflect and think about how we're doing, where's it going. Along that line, I want to uh, start with this quote from Peter Van Bremen, an author that I quite like. And he's talking about Christ as the sender and we are the sent ones, which has got to do with our text. Since the heart of it is the relationship between the sender and the sent, that is Jesus and us, Jesus is the sender, we are the sent ones. A mission cannot be possessed. On the contrary, it requires a daily abandonment to the one who missions. Mission means precisely that we are no longer in control of our own life, someone else's. So that's the idea of coming into a relationship with Christ. Mission means precisely that we are no longer in control of our own life, someone else is. So that's easier to say than it's done because we like to be in control. So often, instead of praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are actually praying, my kingdom come, my will be done. We may not say the words, but that's how it's often acted out. But Van Bremen reminds us mission means precisely that we are no longer in control of our own life, someone else is. So I'm using the language of Christ the sender, and we are the sent ones. Christ is the sender, we are the sent ones. So we keep that in mind as we go. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That verse is well known. We often hear about it. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Jesus is the sender. We are the sent one. So what does that mean? Well, interesting here, one, that there are 70 disciples. We always hear about the 12 disciples. And we start thinking that they're the only ones. Well, clearly they're not. And so here there are 70. So 70 people who have associated themselves with Jesus in a fairly intense way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be sent out. And he sends them out in pairs to the towns that he's going to visit. 
and preach the Word of God and be that Word of God before people. And they are to do a work of preparation. So people have asked the question, well, where does 70 come from? Why send out 70? Well, the Hebrew Scriptures' uh, numbers were highly significant. So, for example, 70, there are 70 elders that Moses works with when he diversifies and his ministry sends out others, appoints elders to hear some of the issues. 70. Genesis 10, there are 70 nations that are listed in that uh, unit following the story of Noah. So maybe it's a symbolic number, but at whatever, they're sent out. And they are sent out by Christ to do something. So what are they to do? Well, they are to announce the kingdom of God. We'll see that in a moment. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. And that's the word there, actually. It's often translated laborers. It's just workers. They, it comes from the word work. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. That was the case then. It's the case now. The harvest is great. The workers are few. But interesting that Jesus turns it around and he says, pray that the Father will send out workers. He's not laying a guilt trip on anybody. He's just saying, we need workers. Let's pray. Pray that the harvest might be brought in. Niagara in the lake, there's all kinds of vineyards down that way, and people go to a lot of work to grow grapes. But finally, the grapes have to come in. Somebody has to go out there and actually pick them, bring them in, harvest what's there. And so as Jesus, remember, Jesus is on the way to the cross. Jesus is on the way towards Jerusalem. That's the whole series of what we're looking at, towards Jerusalem. He knows where he's going. So in this unit, he sends out 70 to prepare the way. So off they go. Jesus tells them, essentially, to travel light and to stay focused. So they're not to take all kinds of things. They're not to take bags and purses and extra stuff. Go there, out there, travel light, and trust in the hospitality of people and stay focused. Stay focused meaning don't start having long conversations with people on the way. Remember what you're about. Travel light. Stay focused. In some ways, in our own world, that's not a bad direction. Travel light. Stay focused. If you become too encumbered with whatever, chances are your eyes are going to go off the mission. Your eyes are going to go off the purpose, perhaps your vocation, your fundamental calling. So Jesus says, travel light, stay focused on the task. And when you do that, proclaim the kingdom of God. So verse 8 or 9, sorry, verse 9 and 11, twice, this is the message. The kingdom of God has come near to you. That's the message. In all the midst of the busyness of life and all the things that are going on in our world, coronavirus and sweeping the planet and people are getting uptight and uptight and uptight and we're worried about how we should respond, the message still goes out, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But it all depends on how we see. We sang, open the eyes of my heart. Because we can be in the midst of our world and Jesus is there, but we're not paying attention at all. We don't even know 
We're not tuned in. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And so Jesus prays, speaks about, go and tell the message. I like it when Paul says in Ephesians 1, pray that the eyes of your heart may be open. Because often the eyes of our heart are not open. It's a metaphor. We can be so busy in our world and in our lives, all kinds of stuff's going on. We're not, we're not conscious spiritually of almost anything. Our hearts aren't open. They're hard. May the eyes of your heart be opened. The kingdom of God has come near to you. That's the message there to go out and speak. And so here in our city of Weston, in our town, we are to be a light. The kingdom of God has come near to you. So it's a word for you, it's a word for me, it's a word for the community around us. Jesus has come to us to speak that word to us. What happens? Well, as I said, some respond in peace, the household of peace, others reject. So what do we do with that? How do we respond to that message? The kingdom of God has come near to you. Are our hearts open or are we here even today with tight hearts, closed hearts? We're not hearing anything. What's our response? I remember I grew up in the east end of Toronto. Danforth Gospel Temple was my church. Churches were often called temples in the old days, in POC anyway, the Pentecostal assemblies. And I remember at one time, we were, I was about 12, and our church was having a reach out into the community around us. So our church was on Danforth right around Donlands, between Donlands and Greenwood. And our family, my family, and the guy that I went out with, we were actually the only two families in the entire church that were in the community, that lived in the community. Most of our people in our church were coming down from Don Mills. I thought Don Mills Scarborough was like the fanciest place in the world. Only the rich and really together people lived out there in Don Mills and Scarborough. Only two families lived in the area. Anyway, we were being sent out in twos. So Phil Wilde and I, we went out, sent out in twos to visit the community, the houses just south of Danforth. We went out, knocked on the doors. Imagine, we wouldn't do that today, right? 12-year-olds, you wouldn't send two 12-year-olds out knocking on doors. In those days, we did that. Talked about the church, talked about how things were. And it was interesting, sometimes the church, the houses would be, would be responsive. And they would say, oh, very nice of you guys to get out there doing this. Thank you for the information. Others didn't want to do anything to do with it. We literally would go out from the veranda, out to the street, and kick our shoes. Kick the dust right off our feet. We were pretty keen in those days, eh? Kick the dust off. They don't want to say anything. So we took these verses quite literally. Sharing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come near to you. So what happens in this place is there's actually quite a success. He said to them, they come back and say, Jesus, look, we did amazing things. Jesus' response is, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you. These verses sound pretty different for us, right? Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, 
that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So just in case they're getting a little bit proud about the whole thing, Jesus reminds them it's about having our names written in heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Wow. Jesus sees that something is going on. So they are quite happy. The disciples return in all kinds of enthusiasm. Wow, this is very exciting. On the way to the cross. And then Jesus says something. This verse is quite important. At that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and prays. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus says, you go out, you go to all these towns, and some say yes, some say no. And Jesus is saying, those who respond in faith, those whose eyes are opened, uses the word Sophia, which is wisdom. Wisdom was a big theme in the first century. Bonnie read some verses from Proverbs. Wisdom, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing God or the beginning of wisdom. The Greeks knew a lot about wisdom. So the audience picks up when they hear that word. And Jesus is saying, who is wise? Where is wisdom? Wisdom is by opening your hearts and turning to him. Who are intelligent? Many of the learneds of the day wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They didn't want to take time. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and nobody went down to even see who was born down there. None of the people from Jerusalem even went down to Bethlehem to look. They couldn't take the time, weren't really interested. But Jesus says there are those, there are some, maybe seen in the world as infants, but they have wisdom as they turn their hearts to God, as they open their hearts to God. Doesn't Jesus say at different times, hey, take a little child in the middle and say, this is how we're to be, not to be a baby, but we to have open hearts, childlike hearts, responsive hearts, because we can beget hard hearts. We can become very hard. Pharaoh's heart is hard. Our hearts are to be responsive. Are we wise or not? That's what Jesus is saying. And then following, we have this verse, which sounds quite different for, Matt, for Luke. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you read the Gospels a lot, this sounds a whole lot like the Gospel of John. This sounds a bit surprising in the Gospel of Luke. But Jesus is praying, Father, you are doing your work, even towards the cross. You are opening hearts, and I give you praise. You know me, and I know you. And note, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, that we can also know the Father. We can know Christ as we open our hearts to him. So Jesus sends out the 70. Will they respond? Will they say yes? Will they say no? Going to Jerusalem. Eventually the same thing when he comes into town on a donkey. Are we saying yes? Are we saying no? When he's on the cross, do we say yes? Do we say no? Lent is about preparing our hearts to say yes instead of saying no. Will I say yes? Will I soften my heart? 
Or do I have the barren no? Do I say no, 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 because I want to do my own thing? Luke is about that. So where do we go forward? Well, it's a focus on relationship. Not knowledge, but relationship. It's interesting, in the history of worship, what begins the actual church, first century? Those who know Christ, have heard about Christ and are following. It's not theology. There are no theologies that are written at this point. It's relationship. It's I know Jesus. And so because of I know Jesus, I praise, I sing songs. Because I know him, I read about the scriptures from the Old Testament and the few scraps that they had in the New Testament times. They hardly have anything yet. They hang in there together. They support one another. It's all flowing out of experience. The theology comes later. It's all about relationship. It takes three centuries before the creed comes together and is stated. The Apostles' Creed. It's 300 years later. It's all about relationship. It's all about singing, knowing him, experiencing him. So we begin our service and we screw up the first tune, all right? Sorry about that. But you know what? We're singing. We're praising to God. We know him. We open our hearts. Is it that much different? First century now, theology and everything else follows from our experience, which means relationship. Jesus is the sender. We are the sent ones. Do I have a relationship with him? That's what Lent's about. So honestly, we are to ask ourselves these questions. How is my relationship with Jesus doing? When I come into church, it's not about sitting down and just listening to a few tunes and somebody speaking. It's about growing my relationship with God, your relationship, and we need each other's help to do that. Why? Because the world is tough. And the world is just saying, don't worry about that. Just worry about your job. Just worry about a lot of money. Provide for your retirement. Well, all this kind of stuff. Church is saying relationship. A focus on knowing him. Secondly, we are the sent ones. Jesus is the sender. We are the sent ones. Means we have a purpose. We have a mission. What does Jesus say? What does he mean when he says the harvest is great, but the laborers are few? Why does he say that? Because he's wanting to remind us and them that there is a deeper calling to our lives than just having a good time. It's more than just being a spectator. Our society is so spectator-driven. Even church is about watching, watching, watching. Instead of participating, being with God, with each other. So what is your mission? What is my mission? How do we do that? Do that together and you doing that in your own life. Your mission. Your purpose. I read a piece in the New York Times this week on, was on education actually and the a contrast between those who have gone on and done some university work and those who have not. And they were just asking questions about how does that feel? And what I was struck by is just how many people are not feeling any sense of purpose or mission. And it's interesting, in the middle-aged men particularly, 
white or black, the suicide rates are going way up. They're going way up because they're writing, it's not a Christian article, that there, there is less of a sense of mission and purpose. And they even bring it back to the unions. And they were saying there used to be big operations at work in, in CCM here in, in Weston and others where people worked their whole careers and had a sense of collegiality and a sense of team even doing that. And now today, people often do not have that. They don't even know who they're really working for. Less of a sense of purpose driven to suicide. Jesus is saying, hey, we have a mission. Regardless of where you're working, you have a mission. Your work may not be the most meaningful, but your life, you have a mission with God. So it's about relationship, it's about a mission. No matter where you're at, whatever age, whatever part or season in life, we have a mission. Part of it is for us to figure out what that is. What is God calling me to do? What is God calling you to do? What's your purpose? If we end up moving on the path towards suicide, then partly it's we're forgetting what we're about. Now, I'm not saying there's other, there's obviously situations where real severe things are going on. But this article is saying often it's through that. Relationship, mission, and good news. The kingdom of God has come near you. It's good news. It's not bad news. The kingdom of God has come to you, to me, to our world. The kingdom of God has come near to you, to me. Good news. So how do we hold on to that amidst all the fears? Sang that song, we won't stand in fear. We won't stand in fear. Well, oftentimes we do stand in fear. We don't keep looking to God and we trust in our own awareness and abilities. The good news, God's message to you, to me. Ignatius, who wrote the spiritual exercises, which was part of the counter-reformation to the Protestant Reformation, he writes, at the same time, essentially, as Luther, a few years after, not much. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All that I have and call my own, you have given it all to me. You, whatever I have, you've given to me, Ignatius says. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Now, isn't that a pretty nice statement? Coming out of the bowels of the Catholic Church? Beautiful word. Say that ironically. Lots of life within the Catholic Church as well. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. So we are called to walk, to be in relationship, to hold on to our mission and share our lives with others. All that you have, you're going to give it away ultimately anyway. 
See that it does something for God's glory. In Jesus' name, this is our path in Lent. In his name, amen.